Welcome to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Your host, Leonard Birdsong, is a law professor, a former diplomat, and a former federal prosecutor who's here to inform and entertain you with a mix of humor, opinion, and information. Now, here's Leonard Birdsong. That's right, this is Leonard Birdsong, Leonard Birdsong Radio, and as Dave has told you, my show is a unique blend of humor, opinion, storytelling, and information. This is the second show of my uh, second season. Today is June 22nd, 2017. We're going to hear some dumb criminal law stories as usual. Um, I'm going to talk about the creator of the greatest lawyer in the world, Perry Mason, we're going to have a guest, a colleague of mine who started a nonprofit organization here in Central Florida. There will be some news tidbits and some riddles. Now, let me start out today by saying I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be back with you. It's been a good week. Summer has started. As a matter of fact, yesterday, most of you know, was what we call the summer solstice. It officially began at 1224. A.M. The date and timing of the solstice depends on when the sun reaches its northernmost point of the equator. Now, the summer solstice is the longest day of the year. It's the day with the most hours of sunlight during the whole year. June 21st this year was um, the solstice. That was yesterday. We had over 15 hours of daylight. Sunrise was about 5.24 a.m., and sunset was 8.31 p.m. The word solstice comes from a Latin word called solstitium, and that means it's broken down into sol, which means sun in Latin, and stitium, which means stop. The ancient Romans thought the sun is higher in the sky throughout the day during this period, and its rays struck Earth at a more direct angle, causing the warmth we associate with summer. In ancient Egypt, summer was the start of the new year. The rise of the star Sirius roughly coincided with the summer solstice and the annual flooding of the Nile River. Admit it was time for planting. You know, at noon on the day of the summer solstice, you'll be able to cast your shortest shadow of the year. Why? Because of the height of the sun. Now, the first day of summer is not usually the hottest day of the summer, although the northern hemisphere gets its most direct sunlight in the summer solstice, the hottest day of summer doesn't usually occur until July or August. Why is that? Well, it's because for several more weeks the amount of solar energy arriving at the ground is greater than the amount leaving the earth. So there's everything you need to know about the summer solstice, but you were afraid to ask. But Leonard Birdsong is here to give you these little facts that you might want to know and tell your friends about it. Now, all of you know that my hobby is collecting and writing about and talking to you on the radio about my dumb criminal law stories. I've been working on some new stories this summer. I'm going to read you some of them. It's a hobby. I've done serious writing. We'll continue to do some serious writing over the years, but these are just funny. Let's start out with some of the stories I've been developing this summer. 
first one comes from Alaska. Here's the headline. You should always listen to the headline. Headline, cardboard box-headed thief? Authorities report that a man in Anchorage, Alaska, has been robbing businesses at knife point with a cardboard box on his head. The bandit robbed two liquor stores and a filling station a few weeks ago. Quote, some goofball wearing a cardboard box with two eye holes punched out came in and threatened her, end quote, said Kevin Wright, whose girlfriend was working at the gas station at the time she was robbed. <laughs> cardboard box-headed thief. All right, where's our next story from? Let me get to it. California. Headline, gluten-free meth? A police department in Newark, California, is offering to make drug, uh, making sure drug users, crystal meth is gluten-free. The police department posted a photo on Facebook showing some crystal meth and a glass pipe with a caption. The caption read, quote, is your meth laced with deadly gluten? Not sure. Bring your meth down to the police department and we will test it for you for free, end quote. <laughs> it's been reported that no one has taken up the friendly offer. <laughs> Gluten-free meth. <laughs> Here's another one from California. Did the teacher have to go, says the headline? Did the teacher have to go? It's been reported that an eighth grader at the Jack G. Desmond Middle School in the town of Madeira, California, has been suspended for slipping eight laxatives into a teacher's coffee in mid-May. This is according to school officials. The student may also face criminal charges, even though none of the pills dissolved or were ingested, according to other police officials. Did the teacher have to go? <laughs> we may never know. Here's a strange one from China. Headline. He tried to sober up with grass. A drunken driver was so drunk when he rolled his Mercedes up to a police checkpoint, he got out of the car and started scarfing down grass on the side of the road, authorities report. Quote, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't driving, the man yelled. Of course, it didn't help. Tests showed his blood alcohol t content was over the legal limit, and yes, he was arrested. Another story from overseas, this one from the country of Colombia. The headline, Follow the Money. A Colombian woman swallowed $7,000 in U.S. currency to keep it from her husband in a, bit, in a bitter divorce dispute. In terrible pain, the woman went to a Santana University hospital in Colombia where doctors actually removed $5,700 in American currency from her stomach. Quote, the dollar notes were washed and are in good condition, but the rest of the money was lost because of the gastric fluids, end quote, said a surgeon who did the surgery. $7,000 ingested, 5700 removed. Wonder if the husband will get it. <laughs> Any of you seen the movie Training Day? It came out in about 2001. This story out of Florida, the headline says, Training Day Idiot. The story. A Florida sheriff's deputy was recently fired for whipping out his service weapon 
and reciting lines from Denzel Washington's character in the movie Training Day. His name, Dean Zipes, a Lake County deputy sheriff, allegedly pulled out the weapon in his office twice before launching into a profanity-laced monologue from the 2001 police drama. Zipes also allegedly performed a mock stick-up on a pizza delivery boy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, gosh, that is funny. Yeah. Okay, all right. Another story from Florida. He romanced the stone. A Panama City man, that's Panama City, Florida, tried to romance an uninterested lady by leaving a pair of ladies' underwear in her car as a gift. However, the creeped-out woman who who already had a boyfriend reported him to police for breaking into her car. His name? Isitro Sanchez, 58. He was charged with burglary and stalking. No, no, no. Do not leave ladies' underwear in a prospective girlfriend's car. No, no. Another story from Florida. Headline is a long one. A traffic bust? The fashion police should have been called in. That's the headline. A traffic bust? The fashion police should have been called. It seems as an Indian River, Florida man, was wearing a hot pink bra when police handcuffed him for driving without a proper license. Buford Carroll, 30, was swerving and smelled of alcohol when sheriff's deputies pulled him over. Along with his pink bra, Carroll also sported a tattoo of the Statue of Liberty holding a gun. He was arrested for driving with a restricted license. I still don't get, I still don't get the pink, hot pink bra. All right, it's not that funny, but it's funny. All right. Sticking with Florida. A lot of these stories come from Florida, folks. The headline in this case, the headline said it was rough justice. Rough being R-U-F-F. Rough justice. Police were summoned to arrest a pizza parlor burger, burglar found inside the business. Police say they asked the alleged burglar, identified as Joseph Pellegrini, at Hungry Howie's in Winter Haven, Florida, to step out or face a police dog. Pellegrini decided to stay put. Minutes later, K-9 Recon entered, bit him on the leg, and after a struggle, the suspect was quietly arrested. Rough, rough. <laughs> rough, rough. <laughs> I love it. I love it. these stories. Just they just never go away. Well, again, these stories don't go away. They're always dumb criminal law stories, and some of them are just weird criminal law stories. This one from Japan. The headline read: "Boom Closet." It has been reported that some residents of Hiroshima, or Hiroshima, I think Hiroshima is the real way you pronounce it, discovered that their bedroom closet was a boom closet. Yes, they found an unexploded World War II bomb tucked away in a cupboard in May of this year. The Japanese army blocked off the surrounding streets after the startled citizens reported the 18-pound munition. 
It was removed and detonated elsewhere. It's unclear how the bomb, which was of Japanese make, ended up in the closet. Boom closet. <laughs> All right, here, here's a funny one. You know, I, I went hunting once. It was horrible. I didn't shoot anything, and the noise of the shotguns hurt my ears. But here's a story about hunters in Kansas. The headline, do not use turkey feathers to hunt turkeys. Two men shielding themselves with turkey feathers in hopes of attracting by hunters in their own party who mistook them for the birds. Gary Deans and Justin Wiles were shot by Gary's brother Kenneth, but will survive, according to Kansas wildlife officials. This happened in Crawford County, Kansas. Be careful when you hunt in Crawford County, folks. All right. Here's the last one I'm going to tell you. It comes from Massachusetts. Yes, Massachusetts. Matter of fact, wait, I got two of them from Massachusetts. Here's the first one. The headline for this one said, Boy Rats Out Dad. An 11-year-old from the town of Lawrence, Massachusetts, called 911 after he found heroin in his father's suitcase. Earlier in the day, the boy spotted his dad dealing the dope, according to police. Police allegedly found 200 grams of heroin inside luggage belonging to the father, Yamil Mercado who's 40. Yes, dad was arrested. Headline, boy rats out dad. No, no, no. All right, finally, another story from Massachusetts. Headline, who in the heck attaches a hammock to their chimney? An Amherst, Massachusetts man was hurt recently when his hammock attached to his chimney on his roof collapsed. Fire Chief Walter Nelson called the man extremely lucky that when the chimney gave way while he was napping, he suffered only minor injuries. To which I say, who in the heck attaches a hammock to their chimney? All right, folks, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. All right, Liz, we're going to take a pause for the cause here. I'm going to come back and tell you a little story about the man who created the greatest lawyer in the world, that's Perry Mason. Stay with me. This is Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. 
Although he's been involved in serious criminal law work over the years as a prosecutor, a defense attorney, and a law professor, Leonard Birdsong knows that it's good to stay grounded. That means not always taking criminal law so seriously and instead just having a good laugh at some dumb criminals and their dumber crimes. Several years ago, he began to collect and compile weird and funny criminal law stories. He shares some of them weekly on his TalkZone Internet radio program. And now you can read more of them yourself in one of his 14 humor books. He has two book series, Professor Birdsong's Dumbest Criminal Law Stories and Professor Birdsong's Weird Criminal Law Stories. They're available for purchase in either paperback or Kindle edition by going to the author link on the homepage at leonardbirdsong.com. Leonard knows that you'll get a few good laughs or at least a few chuckles from his collections of dumb and weird criminal law stories. Check them out for yourself by going to the author link at leonardbirdsong.com. Welcome back to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Yep, it's Leonard Birdsong back with you on Leonard Birdsong Radio. In this part of the show, I want to talk about fellow who created the greatest lawyer in the world. That greatest lawyer, many of you may have heard, is a fellow by the name of Perry Mason. There have been books about Perry Mason. He was on a TV program. There were radio programs and TV programs and even some movies. Who created Perry Mason? Well, it was a man by the name of Earl Stanley Gardner. Now, I always thought in hearing his name, I knew his name, was Earl, but I always thought it was E-A-R-L, but no, it's not. His name was spelled E-R-L-E, Earl. That's the Norwegian way of spelling it, I guess. His parents or forefathers were from Scandinavia. Earl Stanley Gardner was born in 1889, and he died in 1970. Although critics sneered, rather, and may felt that Earl Stanley Gardner was not a very good writer, Gardner was one of the best-selling writers of all times, and certainly one of the best-selling mystery authors ever. He was best known, of course, for creating the world's most famous fictional lawyer, Perry Mason. If that were all he did, he'd probably still rank a bio on this site that I sort of looked at. Given that Mason in his earliest books was little more than an unlicensed private eye who just happened to practice law. Gardner was born in Massachusetts, but his father's job as a mining engineer took the family all over, sometimes as far as the Klondike. A bit of a rough neck as a lad, Gardner was constantly getting into brawls. He once boasted he was kicked out of Indiana's Valparaiso University Law School for slugging a law professor. He also participated and organized several illegal boxing matches. Earl eventually decided that a little knowledge of the law might be in, ha- in handy, might become in handy, rather. So even though he only finished one semester of law school, he landed a job as a typist at an Oxnard, California law firm. He stuck around, picking up legal knowledge, and after three years without any other formal training, he passed the California bar in 1911. He began to practice law on his own. The fledgling lawyer soon found himself gaining a reputation among the Chinese and Mexican communities of Southern California, and um, 
he developed some long-standing relationships and friendships with some of these people. To his credit, characters from these communities who appeared in his fiction were not the usual stereotype villains popular at the time, but actually appeared as real people. Now, always on the eye to increase his income, Gardner abandoned the law for a short stint, working as a tire salesman, but soon realized he missed the law and returned, this time signing on with a Ventura, California firm. About this time, he also began to write, forcing himself to churn out 4,000 words a night. It took two years, but he made his first sale to the pulps. These were magazines, crime magazines from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and into the 50s about criminal activity and hit stories that were interesting. Now, although his greater creation, Perry Mason, never appeared in the pages of the pulps, in the early 1930s, Black Mask, a publisher, published a string of six short stories starring crusading defense lawyer Ken Corning, who fought against injustice in a corrupt city. In many ways, this character Corning served as a rough template for Perry Mason. Now, the last year that Earl Stanley Gardner wrote exclusively for the Pulp magazines, they were called Pulps, was 1932. In that year, Gardner... Gardner, rather, earned $20,000, and it may not be a fortune today, but in the Depression of 1932, this was a lot of money. As a matter of fact, it would be like Stephen King these days. In his pulp days, Gardner was notorious for killing off the final heavies with the last bullet in the hero's gun, which led some editors to tease him about how all his good guys seemed to be such bad shots. However, Earl Stanley Gardner's explanation, at three cents a word, yes, he was paid by the word, every time I say bang in the story, I get three cents. If you think I'm going to finish the gun battle while my hero still has 15 cents worth of unexploded ammunition in his gun, you're nuts. <laughs> oh, gosh, writing for the words. All right, so let me go on. I have some more I want to tell about him. The um, In 1933, Earl Stanley Gardner unleashed his first novel called The Case of the Velvet Claws. C-L-A-W-S, which introduced the hard-boiled attorney Perry Mason. But Gardner gradually softened the character, mostly to make him more palatable to the editors of the magazine The Saturday Evening Post, where some of his stories appeared. From the early 50s on, many of Mason's novels were serialized or excerpted in The Saturday Evening Post prior to book publication, a fact that no doubt contributed to the series' success. Though successful movies, radio shows, comic strips, and a hit TV show certainly played their part as well. Now, when I was in law school, that was between 1970 and 1973, reruns of the TV show Perry Mason came on at 4.30 every afternoon, and most of us law students wanted to see the programs. Why? Because Perry Mason never lost a case. He was a criminal lawyer who won every case. Now, going back to Perry Mason, Errol Stanley Gardner made Perry Mason a recurring character 
first in a series of Hollywood films starting in 1930, and then a radio program from 1943 to 1955. In 1954, CBS, CBS rather, proposed transforming Perry Mason to a television soap opera. When Gardner opposed the idea, CBS created something else, and finally, in 1957, Perry Mason became a long-running CBS TV series starring a fellow called Raymond Burr in the title role. Though Burr originally auditioned for the role of District Attorney, uh, District Attorney Hamilton Berger, Gardner reportedly declared he was the embodiment of Perry Mason. Gardner made an unaccredited appearance as a judge in the case of the final fade-out. That was the last episode in 1966. Gardner and his wife um, lived in California, and he died, as I said, in 1970. He's considered one of the best published authors in the 20th century in the United States. Now, why is this important? Lawyers are well-trained to read, write, and create, and to think. Earl Stanley Gardner came up with a character that everyone loved, Perry Mason. Perry Mason never lost a case. He always won. He not only was a great lawyer, it seems he was a great detective without having a private eyes license. But the real irony is... Although Earl Stanley Gardner had his character, Perry Mason, win every case, as a criminal lawyer, Earl Stanley Gardner was a dud. He lost every case. He couldn't win a criminal law case. So I guess that's what spurred him to write and create Perry Mason, who never, ever lost a case. That's probably more than you want to know about Earl Stanley Gardner and... Perry Mason, but when I was in law school, we all looked up to those Perry Mason TV reruns. They were a lot of fun. Some of us won a lot of cases, but no one, no real lawyer wins every case. But at any rate, this is the kind of information you find here on Leonard Birdsong Radio. You can read some of my criminal law stories for free on my blog by going to www.birdsongslaw, one word, birdsongslaw.com. You can read some of my stories for free, and as my ads tell you, you can even buy some of the books. I'm always collecting these stories. That's my hobby. You can also buy the books at leonardbirdsong.com. That's my website. If you want to write to me and tell me about what you like or dislike about the program, go to my um Email, which is lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. That way you can write me and I will write you back. Right now we're going to take another pause. I've got a guest coming on after the break. It's a colleague of mine, an old friend, Jeffrey J. Seward Esquire. We'll talk about his new nonprofit organization that he's formed here in Central Florida. Stay with us. We're on TalkZone.com.
Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash Birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. Now back to Professor Birdsong for more Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. This is, this is Leonard Birdsong back with you on Leonard Birdsong Radio. I hope we have our guest, Jeffrey J. Seward. He is an attorney. He lives in Central Florida. He's a colleague of mine. He's been an adjunct professor at the Berry Law School. He is a banker that specializes in trust and estates work and a fellow who I am proud to say is a friend. He's also the great, 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 great grandson of uh, the Seward who served in Abraham Lincoln's cabinet back in the 1860s and that seward is the one that bought the state of what's now the state of alaska from russia jeff are you with us i'm with you good thanks for coming on that's the introduction yeah well you know we go way back jeff i mean we've had a lot of fun together you teach us i've taught at barry and a number of the people who've graduated from the school you've hired for your nonprofit organization Tell us about your organization, which is the Special Assistance Network. I understand your goal is to connect the community of special needs people and families and those with physical and neurological development challenges with resources to assist them and their families to improve their quality of life and connect them with others who care and want to help. How did you come upon starting the nonprofit? Well, about a year and a half ago. Uh, there was a uh, a need that I found. Uh, a lot of banks, financial institutions, brokers, financial advisors, insurance companies were slowly but surely getting out of handling uh, special needs trusts for the public. If you were a million-dollar client, there was always room for that type of work. Right. For the majority of the population that has special needs children or special needs adults in their family, uh, all of a sudden they were cut out of this availability. So by looking at that, I started doing a little bit of research. Uh, I attended a number of conferences uh, on special needs. I'm married to a uh, retired special needs special education teacher, so... I've been involved with it for 20, 30 years. And as I went to uh, some of these meetings, uh, not only in Central Florida, but in Atlanta, in Denver, in Indianapolis, and Chicago, I saw that the majority of the people that needed some type of assistance 
basically middle-class individuals. Middle-class without a lot of money, you mean, okay? Correct. Uh, people that did not have million-dollar accounts to invest, let's put it that way. And at that point, then, we started doing a little, I did a little more research to find out if there was anyone filling this void. Okay. And I, and I had found that there was a couple small companies in Florida that had, were trying to fill the void, but their biggest mistake was they were using the same fee schedules as banks, financial advisors, brokerage houses, the, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we went about, uh, two or three of us, we went about to try to carve out availability for the middle-class individuals. We found the need. There was no yep. doubt about it. There was a great need. Right. So then the next thing we looked at was, because I had been involved in special needs trusts for almost 30 years yeah, at banking institutions in the trust and estate world, mm-hmm. the next thing we looked at was the types of assets that people would put in these types of trusts. What kind of assets would they put in those well, trusts? Well, in the past, uh, of course, we were dealing with high net worth individuals. They would put cash, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, things like that. Mm-hmm. However, if you're an individual that does not have a lot of wealth, you're working every day, you have a great need to take care of the special needs individual that you are maintaining or taking care of, and you have to realize that's a lifelong commitment. That's not just something until, uh, like my kids, when they turned 18, they went off to college and then they started their own lives. Uh, these types of individuals are connected to the families forever. And that's right. And does the state uh, give disability benefits to people like this? Uh, they do in some cases. Uh, the Social Security Administration has a very tight set of guidelines. And the biggest mistake that a lot of people uh, make is they believe that everyone that has some form of special need whether they're Down syndrome or autistic or physically handicapped or mentally handicapped or, or whatever. Uh, they believe that the government will provide for them, and in fact, they may, but they have to qualify. Yeah. And it's very easy to be, get disqualified, and then there's an 18-month uh, limitation period that then they have to go through the whole process again. It becomes very frustrating to individuals that have these types of individuals in their families. So we looked so, at what, so you looked at things and you're trying to fill this gap, is that right? That's exactly right. We tried to fill the gap. And what we found was that many times individuals uh, were not so much concerned about their daily life, but they were concerned of what happens if the family, if mom and dad, become incapacitated, or if they die, or if there's no one there to take care of them, or, on the other side of the coin, if the special needs individual is fortunate enough to become functional enough that they are out in society, but they want to make sure someone doesn't take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. What type of assets would you put in a trust for that individual? Mm -hmm. We found that a lot of people were trying to put real estate or insurance policies or some type of alternative investment that was not an income-producing asset at the time. So that was another trigger for us. 
we, we wanted to research to find out, is there a restriction on this? And we found very clearly that there is not. There is nothing in the Internal Revenue Code that says that you cannot put this type of asset or these types of assets in a trust. So therefore, we figured out very quickly that banks and financial institutions and people like that just didn't want to handle that. Because so there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough money. Is that it, or it was too enough, cumbersome? There wasn't enough fee income because that led into the third part of the reason why we created this, and that was the cost. And you're exactly right, Leonard, in the fact that most banking institutions, and I know from being a corporate trustee for many years, uh, they prefer to charge somewhere between twenty-five hundred and five thousand dollars a year every year to handle a special needs trust. Mm, mm, mm. Well, if you're a middle-class individual and you have numerous expenses for a special needs individual and you don't have a million dollars to invest in a trust in a bank trust department, how do you get this done? How do you have this protection? So that third prong or that third part of the stool, shall we say, the three legs of the stool, Mm -hmm. we covered the need. We covered the types of assets. How did we cover the cost? Well, again, we did some research, and we found that if we were a for-profit organization, then there's a lot of different uh, costs, regulations, issues that drive the price up. Of course. So we contacted the Internal Revenue Service and said, how could we do this on a non-profit format? And they were very helpful and, and helped us, and we created a nonprofit organization, and the cost factor then ended up being one-third the cost of everyone else, of the wow. corporate trustee. Now, the cost is a sliding scale also. The cost is figured out according to an average of a family's adjusted gross income over any three-year period. Mm-hmm. You may get the same service, have the same trust, have the same need, and you have a family making $50,000, and they will pay a different fee but for the same service than someone making $100,000. Okay, got it's it. cost-effective to both families. And so your, your nonprofit is called the Special Assistance Network. Have you had some success with setting up some of these trusts for people? Yes. Uh, the Special Assistance Network, like I said, was created in February of 2016. So we've been in operation for about a year and a half. That's right. Uh, we have numerous accounts uh, in Florida. We have some accounts in Georgia. Uh, we have received authorization to work nationwide. We have Good. starting to get some inquiries from Michigan and some from Chicago and some from, uh, we just had one last week from Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, so it, the word is slowly spreading among the legal community uh, because the banks, the insurance companies, the financial advisors, they don't have the training or the expertise, nor do they have the desire to deal with this stuff. That's right. Now, I know you have the expertise because you are were a trust officer and you've done all of these sorts of things. God bless you for what you're doing. Uh, I hope you stick with it, Jeff. 
I, um, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't do trust in the state's work. I don't know much about it. My father used to do some of that before he retired. But, you know, you've had quite a career. I just want to tell people that you, I think you worked your way through law school because you were a state trooper in Nebraska. Isn't that right? That's correct. And you've been good with people. You've all, you know, I've always seen that. And you're good with students. And you've even hired some of our graduates from the Berry Law School where you've taught as an adjunct. And uh, again, I say God bless you. Your wife, who is a special needs teacher or was a special needs teacher, has even helped out Berry Law School in the past as a, what was she? She used to do proctoring for the exams and things like that. So you guys are people-oriented, and I hope that you will keep this up. Well, we are we are planning on keeping it up because even though uh, there are a number of us, we have probably 10 to 12 people uh, in various locations working this uh, nonprofit organization, and we are starting to hire uh, and, and bring in to the fold, shall you say, uh, some of uh, younger people that have some of the training so that this uh, organization will perpetuate itself and it will continue Good. and only grow and get larger. The, the, the old saying of uh, it, it's like being an infant. You have to crawl before you walk and you walk before you run. And that's right. We're about ready to quit crawling and start walking. So that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> that sounds good. Listen, well, so, are, are any of your children in, in, interested in getting involved in the organization? No, I have uh, I have two children, and uh, uh, one is a teacher, but not a special ed teacher, and and one is a mechanic. So he helps people, but he he. He fixes their cars, so that uh, they probably will not go into this business. But the, the bottom line is, we are we are trying to attract the right people, uh, so that this will this will go on and this will continue because there definitely is a need. Uh, we have already proven that we're getting inquiries every week, and and uh, it is just something that maybe by luck or by happenstance we were at the right place at the right time. And thank God that you have been. Jeff, I wish you all the luck in the world with your nonprofit, the Special Assistance Network. Would you like to give a telephone number and a... a uh... Probably the easiest oh. thing for anyone to get hold of us is to go on your computer and go to www.specialassistancenetwork. That's all one word. Mm-hmm. org. Okay. You go to that website. It will uh, it'll come up with a home page, and then there's uh, various headings that you can go to. It talks about special needs trust, uh, the advantages, the disadvantages. It talks about what we do. We try to do some education. We try to do some empowerment. We try to do some endowment. Uh, there's also, if people are philanthropically, you know, desire, we have a donate button there because as a charity, uh, we are running pretty bare bones, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, we accept any type of donation. And, and it's tax, all the way it's tax the deductible, I take it? Contact button. And with the contact button, you simply click on that, and it'll come up with a screen, and you can ask questions. You can contact us. We'll contact you. It has phone numbers, addresses. We have two offices, and we're hoping to open a third office very soon. Good for you. Congratulations, Jeff. Now, we'll leave on a high or funny note here. When I was the associate dean at the Berry Law School, 
I had my own private parking space. <laughs> and who would park in it if I wasn't there? Tell well, me who. I the person that used to park in it, and, and, I, and I believe they were just making sure that no one else would park in your spot. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you were doing it just to get my goat. You know that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jeff, so good to have you on. Thank you so much. I wish you all the luck in the world. You're doing some good stuff out there, okay? Thank you very much. And to all of, all of your listeners, if you need our help or if you're just looking for an inquiry, please look at specialassistancenetwork.org, and we'll sure as heck try to help you out. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. This is Leonard Birdsong on Leonard Birdsong Radio. We'll be back with you after these messages. There's more to come. Don't go away. Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. Are you considering law school? Then you probably have tons of questions about the application process, the admissions process, the benefits of a legal career, and what it takes to succeed in law school. You'll find the answers to these questions and more in Professor Birdsong's Law School Guide, Techniques for Choosing and Applying to Law School. Inside, you'll find helpful chapters on the history of the lawyer, why you should apply to law school, things you need to know about applying, and more. You have the ability and the drive. Now, get the advice that will guide you into the legal profession by helping you successfully submit your application to the law school of your choice. Professor Birdsong's award-winning law school guide, Techniques for Choosing and Applying to Law School. Available for purchase on Amazon.com or through the author link at LeonardBirdsong.com. You're listening to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Professor Birdsong. Yes, it is Leonard Birdsong. We've had an interesting show today. I've certainly enjoyed it. It's not over yet. I have some news tidbits that I want to share with you. These are things that I find in the news that most of you may not see, but I'd like to tell you about them. Here's the first one. The headline reads, Diddy Tops Celebrities. Diddy Tops Celebrities. The story, Sean Diddy Combs was named the world's highest paid entertainer last Monday, ousting Taylor Swift, who fell to 49th place on the Forbes annual list. Beyonce moved into second spot with $105 million, courtesy of her best-selling Lemonade album and World Tour, I'm sorry, while British author J.K. Rowling, 95 million, moved back into the top three 
thanks to her Harry Potter spinoff Fantastic Beast and where to find them. Combs, that is Sean Diddy Combs, 47 years old, earned an estimated $130 million in the 12-month period ending on June 1st of this year, according to Forbes. It, it attributed the big payout to his Bad Boy Family Reunion Tour, earnings from Sean John Clothing Line, and his partnership with Ciroc Vodka. There you have it. Diddy tops all celebrities. Another tidbit from Massachusetts. A Massachusetts woman gave birth without realizing she was pregnant, said the headline. Christine Harvey was about to go to the hospital for severe stomach pain when she gave birth on a sidewalk in Malden, Massachusetts. Quote, I thought it was her daughter's doll, end quote, one neighbor said. No, it's a baby. The mom of a three and, no, the mom of three and her six pound, six ounce baby girl are in good condition. Boy, she was pregnant and she didn't even know it. Gave a birth on the sidewalk. Wow. All right, headline. Pence's Puss Passes. Vice President Mike Pence's cat Oreo died last Saturday. His wife Karen announced the black and white felines passing on Twitter, writing, quote, Rest in peace, Oreo. You touched a lot of hearts in your little life. Our family will miss you very much. End quote. Now, the Pence family, who are enthusiastic, enthusiastic animal lovers, also lost their 13-year-old beagle, Maverick, in October, one month before the presidential election. What sad news for the Pences. Pence's, pu- Pence's puss passes. <laughs> All right. Few more here. Headline. 100 million water whopper, says the headline. 100 million water whopper. The water bill wasn't so bad, but the service charge was eye-popping. Carrie and Healy of Orange County, North Carolina, got a water bill for $189.92. But the service charge was a dollar shy of $100 million. Healy said he jokingly asked the Orange Water and Sewer Authority on Twitter a few weeks ago if he could make installment payment, whether he could make installment payments. He posted uh, later Wednesday that the utility assured him his bill was wrong. Thank heavens. <laughs> All right. Just a couple more here. This one comes from... Central Florida, where I live. A college football kicker could get the boot from the team for being a YouTube video star. NCAA officials say University of Central Florida's Donald De La Haye will have to choose between playing football and making money from his YouTube channel, which has 53,000 followers. De La Haye says, my family is struggling at home. There's barely any food and tons of bills piling up. He says uh, he hasn't made up his mind as to whether he's going to stay with football or whether he's going to drop it and stay with his YouTube. He seems to be a good little producer. The Central Florida University is here in Orlando, Florida, where I live. 
and they have a pretty good football team. All right, the last of these stories that I have, the news tidbits for this week. Here is the headline. Pastor steals his own church, according to the police. Good Lord, that's a steal. The longtime pastor of an inner-city Connecticut church has been busted, that is arrested, for allegedly selling the 1.5 million house of worship to himself for $1. Bishop Franklin L. Fountainhead of the Fountain of Youth Cathedral in Bridgeport was charged with first-degree larceny and second-degree forgery after he altered a deed and sold the property to himself without the board of directors okay. This is what the Connecticut newspaper, the Connecticut Post, reports. Police investigated after receiving a complaint from the board as well as from Fountain's Fountain's younger brother, James, and his uncle Donald. Franklin Fountain, 55, rejected the charge, saying it's all ridiculous. He faces more than 20 years behind bars if convicted. We will see what happens. Stay tuned, as they used to say. Stay tuned, folks. This is Leonard Birdsong with you. We're coming to the end of this hour. I love sharing this hour with you. It's on Thursday from 1 until 2 Eastern Standard Time on Talk Zone. You can listen to me on Thursday, or you can get the show 24 hours a day, seven days a week on TalkZone.com. Just go to the homepage. On the right-hand side of the page, there will be channels. Go to the legal channel, and that's where you will find my show. I always like to end the show with a riddle or two. See if you can figure these out. Here's the first riddle. Why are dolphins poor students? Why are dolphins poor students? Think about it. What's the answer? Well, dolphins are poor students because they're always below sea level. Isn't that a good one? (laughs) Dolphins are poor students because they're always below sea level. All right, here's another riddle. What has three feet but can't walk? Tell me, what has three feet but can't walk? You know the answer? Well, what has three feet and can't walk is a yardstick, folks. All right. All right. Two more. See if you can get them. What does not happen when cows laugh? What does not happen when cows laugh? Know the answer? Think about it. What do cows do when they laugh? Or what do they not do when they laugh is rather what I want to say. Well, when cows laugh, folks, they do not shoot milk through their nostrils. (laughs) All right, I hope you enjoyed these. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. This is Leonard Birdsong, and this is Leonard Birdsong Radio. I'm going to be signing off. It's been great being with you here this afternoon. You can read my Dumb Criminal Law stories on my blog, www.birdsongslaw.com, all one word. 
Or you can buy my books at leonardbirdsong.com. That's my website. Or you can find my books on amazon.com. Just type in Professor Birdsong. It's been great being with you. I'll be back with you next Thursday. Come and listen. Talk Zone is available. And it's great internet radio. See you next week, folks.